Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Last time, Pastor Daniel Calcano spoke to us about the older generations. Today, we'll get into discussing Generation X, Millennials, and Generation Z. We explore pivotal events in each of these younger generations, as well as how Christianity uniquely appeals to them. Hopefully, this conversation will spur some thoughts for you, regardless of your age, and how you can reach people for Christ in your own world. Here now is episode 443, Generational Differences, Part 2, with Daniel Calcano. Welcome back, Pastor Daniel. So glad to have you today with me at Restitutio and talking about generations again. Last time we talked about the greatest generation, the silent generation, and the baby boomers. And today we're looking at uh, the younger generations, Gen X, Millennials, Gen, what comes after that? Z. Z. Yeah. And uh, Alpha. Yeah. You're going to restart the alphabet, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like uh, COVID variants. You know, they yeah. it started going with the Greek letters. So welcome back. So glad to have you with me today. Glad to be here. We had a great conversation. Looking forward to talking about these uh, younger generations, even though I'm interested in what the older people have gone through. This is, uh, these are my people. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The ones that you feel like you have shared experience with. Right. Yeah. I feel that too. All right, so yeah. what's, what is a Generation X? The idea is here that just in the same way, and we mentioned in the last episode about how there was a baby boom, well, there was then a baby bust. And the idea being that, you know, the silent generation had tons of babies, but then the baby boomers didn't. And there are many reasons for that. Some of it is attributed to how the divorce rate went up mm, and, yeah. and just people didn't have as many kids or, or put the value or, or you know make family the priority that they should have. In general, as people get more free and more prosperous, I guess, as society does and has over the past you know, 50, 60 years, uh, you just tend to have less kids because you don't need, uh, especially back in the day, the mentality was we need more kids to, to work on the farm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that was like, you know, 100 years ago, that was the mentality. Uh, now you could have two kids like uh, Sarah and my wife and I have had two kids and we're happy. We're good. <laughs> we're good with that. So uh, certainly having more kids can be a blessing in a different way, but it just seems that more and more people had less kids. And so Generation X, partly why they were called that is it just there was nothing that really defined them. And, and it became such where, again, because many of them were living in divorced parent situations and things like that, they had to be on their own a lot because both parents were now working. That was a major shift. You know, the moms were now working and they would come home from school and just be alone for hours at a time. Yeah, they and called us uh, latchkey kids. Where Latchkey kids, right? Yeah, we would just uh, get home and have to let ourselves into our, where we live and be alone for right. a while. Full disclosure for myself, my mom uh, chose to stay at home this would be like in the 80s when I was a little little guy. That was already getting to be weird. 
that was already mm. getting to be kind of looked at with like a, a skew glance, like, right? Why, why aren't you working? And she's like, Yeah, you could be working. <laughs> she's like, What are you talking about? I am working, you know. And uh, as it turns out, I'm one of five children, so yeah, it was actually a right, lot of right. work. And yeah. especially as you get into the older years, where you are being driven to these different practices and different parts of your life in the minivan, you know, and that's, that certainly yeah. was my context. But yeah, a lot of my friends uh, came from single uh, parent homes. Divorce was very normal for the parents of Gen X kids, probably as a consequence of what we talked about last time with the boomers and that mm-hmm. just passion for freedom and like changing things. And like, I don't like this marriage. I'm going to change it. And right. uh, you know, that, that uh, mindset yeah, I definitely resonate with what you're saying here. Even though right. it wasn't my personal experience, I definitely saw it a lot. Yeah, you, yeah, you saw it in, in, in people in your age group, for sure. And, and just to be clear, the, the age range for this group is 1965 to 1980. That's when they were born. So, you know, if you were born in the late 60s and throughout the 70s, then you're, you're part of this generation where this generation could have gone either way. It could have been a hopeful, optimistic generation and uh, there are certainly a lot of things that happen in, in throughout the 80s and, the, and, and into the 90s that gave hope to uh, to a lot of people, like the uh, the Berlin Wall coming down and, and the, the fall of the USSR and and just all the change that happened over the, over there in Europe and so on. That gave a lot of hope. But then people saw, as usually is the case, a lot of uh, became disillusioned with politicians failing us, like Bill Clinton having his affair and that sort of thing. And that's getting a little bit later into the into the 90s. But maybe the, the, the key being seeing their parents not being everything that they could have been and becoming disillusioned with that. So the, a lot of anger, a lot of cynicism became a part of Gen X. And that really started to manifest in the 90s. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I remember being a kid watching the Challenger take off and explode on one of those uh, those in my age group would remember this. Uh, they had these like huge carts that they put the yep. the boxy television on. Yeah, and, I remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'd wheel it in and had the strap yeah. on it so it wouldn't fall off the cart. Yeah. And they'd wheel it in and it was like a special event when somebody wheeled in a television to watch right. something. And uh, yeah, it blew up. And it was just like, I was, I was yeah. young enough that like I didn't even really emotionally process it. I didn't get that there were people... Die right. that ju- I just watched people die. Like I didn't process right. that at all, but I just do remember that is like part of the psyche, though. Like sometimes rockets blow up, right. and and so like when the more recent space race uh, between SpaceX and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic and over against NASA, which is like not doing much, right. putting satellites out, and Elon Musk is like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna land a rocket. You know, we're just going to come right down. We'll use gyroscopes yeah. and we'll land it on the sea. You know, and I'm, I'm like, I, I can't help but watch this stuff. And like, it gets there yeah. and then it tips over. And I'm, and I'm, as a Gen Xer, I'm like, what do you think was going to happen? Like, of course. Yeah. Uh, whereas like others are like, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe- but now, but yeah. now they figured it out, and now it is actually somewhat viable. And uh, you know, it's just part of like the back of my psyche that like, you know, just to get really recent. Russia or Putin recently said he's putting all his nukes on the highest alert level. Mm. And a lot of people are just like, 
what does that even mean? They didn't even know what that means. I'm like, I know what that means. I grew up when they were always at their highest alert level. Like, I I remember being a child looking up at the sky, seeing a a jet, you know, like in the distance with the the jet stream and everything behind it, thinking to myself, "Ah, that could be the one. That could be the one that drops the nuke that like ends the world. That was normal. We did drills where we went into the hallway and crouched and covered in case a bomb went off far enough away to not instantly kill us, but close enough away to break all the glass. And the hallway was in between the classrooms, and that was the protected space. We never once, never once did a uh, uh, lock yourself in your classroom because there's a shooter drill. Right, right. You know what I mean? And uh, so it's just just a different generation. And I think we too, the Gen X, we grew up in a time where there was unprecedented levels of violence in America. Mm. Uh, I learned this from the Freakonomics book where they, they analyzed some of the, 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 the crime, violent crime patterns. And uh, if, if, you look, if you look up, I mean, I don't know about the last couple of years because there was a lot with uh, COVID and then Black Lives Matter protests and, and riots and so on. But uh, if you look at the overall chart, like it peaked in the 90s. Just mm. violence was crazy in America. And mm. you didn't feel safe. And you didn't have stability in the home, most of us. And... The world, you looked out at the world and it's like kind of a gray place. It wasn't a place for like flowers and blue skies yeah. and hippies and free love. It was just like, I hope we make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting thing that I want to note here, especially as it was reflected in, in pop culture. In the 80s, the idea of the, the good guy versus the bad guy was prevalent. Like you would watch movies where there was a clear good guy and clear bad guy. Yeah. But everything that you guys as Gen X went through, it, it just continued to feed the cynicism within you. And I, again, we're speaking in broad generalities, but um, that then manifested in the pop culture in the 90s. Vince McMahon from the wrestling uh, oh, yeah. WWF. Oh, I know all about Vince McMahon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like when I was in grade nine, I was into all that stuff and it was the late 90s and he went on TV and said the days of good guys versus bad guys is is passe. You know, it's definitely passe. And uh, we're not gonna be doing that stuff anymore. And that really illustrates and, and puts to the forefront of the gray, as you said. What was right and wrong? Well, the people that you're supposed to be looking up to are doing the wrong thing, like Bill Clinton and that sort of thing. So Gen X is this, this as I, I say in other times, an amazing hybrid of previous generations. Mm-hmm. Because you can, we can talk about all the all the negative side of things, but if it wasn't for Gen Xers and what they brought in terms of technology and 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 just bringing us into the digital age and the you know the internet age, that that was that was a, a game changer. So and that's mostly because of Gen X. Yeah, it is definitely reflected in our TV shows. You know, The right. Simpsons, yeah. and MTV, and the whole genre of alternative rock. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was us. And <laughs> the whole like uh, goth movement. Yes, you know, that's was, right. That was all in there. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you had your, your, your big hair in the 80s. And, you know, these guys that were, you know, became these like hard rock, you know, right. heavy metal, classic rock, 
uh, that's all in the mix. And then that's in the earlier period. And then the later period is the alternative music, right. Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Metallica, you know, a lot of yeah. these bands that had a certain kind of vibe to them. And it was very much like a rebelliousness, yes. very similar to boomers, without the optimism. It wasn't like we're going to rebel and then we're going to remake the world into a better place. Yeah. It was like, no, it's it's all messed up and that's just the way it is. And I'm just going to yeah. shake my fist and express my rage. And uh, I've got no real point at, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day that I'm trying to make here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I think you can sum it up. Uh, Nirvana was this huge band in the early 90s and brought this whole alternative rock scene into the forefront. But I don't know, take Smells Like Teen Spirit, the song itself. It's mostly, you know, he's just making up lyrics. It doesn't mean anything. And, you know, and that's sort of, you're not standing for anything. You're just being different because you don't want to be your parents. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So it was counterculture. And then he killed himself. And and so that, and that's just it. So like, if you want to, like, you had this, this this mentality of being counterculture and all this stuff, and then you see this person that you idolize kill himself because that didn't bring him anything any fulfillment. Yeah, unless somebody was there to show them the way, that is to God. What did these people in your generation have to do? They had to just give. They became nihilists in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. But nihilism doesn't satisfy you. Uh, the only real philosophical question question for a nihilist is whether or not to commit suicide. You know, talk about a depressing belief system. You know, Gen X people are not dead. We're still here, okay, just for the record. <laughs> yeah. yeah, our childhood was what it was. But I think we are, in a sense, primed to hear some good news, primed to question everything and arrive at truth from God as well because— you know, and, and I've seen this with some some folks that you know I grew up with, and the, you know their attitudes towards God and towards religion. You know, I got made fun of a lot. Not that I was like a very good Christian, honestly, uh, but like because my dad was a pastor and we had house church in those days. But they they made fun of me and they ridiculed me, and certainly TV was constantly ridiculing anyone that believed in God. Right. You know, a lot of our comedy, like rated R horror movies, or uh, just like big blockbuster movies would like just take shots at Christianity randomly. You know, there was just general sense of like religion is definitely not the answer. And I'm not even going to pursue that as a viable course of investigation. However, as we age, Mm. we've tried the other things. We've tried drugs. We tried sex. We tried success. We tried education. We tried social justice. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, we tried the charity route and, you know, maybe working for the Peace Corps or pouring ourselves out for, you know, the hungry people. When I was a kid, it was like hungry kids in Ethiopia and they had these images of the distended belly and, and you know, right. all this. And we've tried all these things and you, now you're in your 40s or in your 50s and you're, and you're just saying to yourself, like, I'm still looking. Right? Right. So right. I believe the Gen Xers, even though you might not think of them as like the most like typical generation to evangelize i think there's a huge opportunity for my people (laughs) (laughs) to come to christ even now in the 2020s you know because a lot a lot of people they're under this illusion that if if i just 
uh, get an education, then I'll be happy. And then they get the education, and they're right. like, if I just get a job, then I'll be happy. And if I just get married, then I'll be happy. If I just have kids, then I'm happy. By the time you're in your in your 40s, your 50s, forget about it. If you're in your early 60s, like, right. you know none of those things actually make you happy. Even if you have yeah. a great marriage. Even if you yeah. have kids that love you. Even if you have a job that pays the bills and gives you even extra to have discretionary funds to, to do fun stuff with. It still doesn't satisfy you. You can buy the newest iPhone and still feel like there's still something missing. And I yeah. think that's you know a real opportunity for us to reach out to Gen X and say, you know what? You know what will plug that hole? You know what will be mm. big enough to satisfy your soul? Nothing less than God. Right, right. So I, I, I'm optimistic, but that's my nature. I'm an optimist. Well, even though I came from... despair (laughs) right right no and and yeah and then this is again we're speaking in general terms obviously there's going to be individuals within every generation that don't identify with the majority of their generation and but to your point of there's still people to reach in the older generations and and jet x in particular the fact that you guys are now in your 40s into your 50s that's like the core of of leadership yeah. Uh, you know, people who are in leadership in church probably are in that age range. Yeah. And so we want to reach out to those people. And the, the good thing for a pastor, for any pastor who's th- who wants their church to grow, and, and just to be absolutely clear, we, we recognize that God is the one who changes people's hearts and that it is the gospel message that provides the platform on which God to do the work of salvation, if that's the right way to, to put it. Um, but we're talking about how the gospel is packaged and how church and, and this life of faith is packaged. And what the Gen Xers did in the 90s and, and later is take what the baby boomers did and just go further and say, hey, why can't we uh, have a full rock band up there? If that's the kind of music we like, why can't we do that? Uh, why can't we have lights and you know, projector screen and all this other stuff and just modernized the church, brought it into the 90s, brought it into the 21st century. Yeah. And that's interesting to the degree that church is like, like like the one I'm pastoring, to the degree that we modernize our church. It's 2022. We're still trying to modernize. We will attract Gen Xers because Gen Xers, remember, aren't against the idea of church. They just want it to be something that they can identify with. As opposed to the younger generations, which we'll get to in a second. I would say, too, anonymity is important to my generation. And if I go to a church service, I want to lurk in the background. I don't want to be brought up. We have a new guest today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I do not want to be singled out. I do not want to make a speech. And I'm a heavily extroverted person. Uh, But, you know, just knowing that about myself and my probably many others in my generation i'm sure there are plenty of exceptions to that but i think generally speaking we we are profoundly suspicious of any authority at all and we're we're just kind of like itching to say to younger or older people what did you think would happen (laughs) of course they failed of course the rocket blew up of course you know, the, the, the rock star blew his head off. Like, that's just the way the world is. It's a cold, dark yeah. place, man. Yeah. In light of all that, I think we have to just create space in our services or online or, you know, and we're, we're 
somewhat digital natives, depending on, I mean, not fully like millennials, mm-hmm. but like right. we're, old, we're, we're, we're young enough that we, you know, have some interest in, you know, online stuff uh, and we're able to operate most things. When we first experienced the Internet, Gen X, right. it was like a free zone where you could be anything you wanted to be except for yourself. Like you would never be yourself on the internet. Mm. That would just be stupid. So you want to have a handle. I had a a high school friend, a Vietnamese kid who used to make fun of my pale Irish skin. He called me white (laughs) as rice. So that was my, (laughs) that was my name online. I was white (laughs) as rice and uh, I just owned it, you know? And, uh, you know, that's how people knew me was by my handle. They didn't know who I was or my age or anything. So we were like the belief that like information should be free and it should be accessible and it should be anonymous. And then you millennials came along and you're just like, no, you should actually use your real name and tell (laughs) intimate details of your life on the internet. And we were just like, why would you do that? Uh, And the internet has really shifted towards that kind of perspective where it's like more about being true to who you are and this whole um, authenticity rather than looking in the shop. But let me, that's a long way to say that, you know, if you're going to reach Gen X, mm-hmm. I think you have to not be pushy. You have to give them space to belong before they're even willing to hear the message. And if you squeeze them, they're just out because like they're, they, they need time to evaluate. They need time to think it through and they have their own opinions they need to be treated gently rather than just like, hey, yeah. you're here. You better repent to your sins. And, right. you know, we're just like, we're not going to go for that. Not to downplay the importance of Gen X, but they are sort of a transition generation. <laughs> but so are, so are <laughs> Makes me so sad. But, but you're, so are millennials in a you're, way. You're, because... you're right. You're right. We are. I just, I just don't. I just think that we're usually downplayed more than we should be because yeah. we did do a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not downplaying that, but I guess what I mean by transitional is what you're describing is what just became even more the case with, with millennials and even more the case with Gen Z, which is if I'm gonna do this church thing, if I'm gonna be a Christian, then I have to be shown why it matters to me and, and connect with it on a personal level. Like it just seems like from even from the baby boomers on, it just become it's becoming more and more needed to explain why we would do any of this Christian stuff. Yeah. And and to your point of like you can't just tell somebody to repent because they're like, well, repent. I don't even know what what you're talking about. Like that yeah. word doesn't even mean anything. Yeah. And so the younger we get in terms of generations, the more we're going to have to explain what we're doing and tell them why it matters. Yeah. As we age, we do tend to be more willing to try church. Hmm. And I, I don't think that's a Gen X thing. I think that's like any generation. People look at churches and they're like, oh, there's just a bunch of old people there. Well, you know, if you look 50 years ago, was where there's still just a bunch of old people there? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So those can't be the same old people. Right. So right. what's going on? You know, like is, is there there is something that older people are willing and they're closer to death. You know, like there there is a, yeah. there it does kind of make sense. And so I think Gen X, as we're in our middle age years and then graying and our kids are getting out of the house, we're more open to considering 
and to entertaining Christianity as a viable option for fulfillment. There is a huge opportunity here to pull in Gen X. And, you know, what, what we want, I would say, is we want to, we, we're not so worried about who we are, like later mm. generations. We already, we never really worried about that. Right. You know, uh, we didn't look within to like discover our true selves, like the Frozen movie. You know, that wasn't, you know, we, we're more modernist. We're more, you know, prone to respect science and right. say, well, you know, this is logic. This is science. You can prove this. I will believe it. Uh, And so we're looking for that kind of rationality to Christianity. I think more than other generations, they're looking for a more experiential side. And so like old school apologetics work much more on our generation than the younger generations. And I think that's why, you know, it's it's helpful to like not throw out old things that also worked in, in an effort to also reach younger generations you know, do do it all you know yeah. give your reasons yeah. for the historicity of the resurrection of jesus because that speaks to certain people and exactly. also talk about authenticity and how if you want to be fulfilled and experience god then christ is the way uh so i think both these things are important but we we've got to get to the next generation now because right you're a millennial and even though you're an old soul you you know <laughs> you know millennials what is a millennial why are they right. called millennials? People who were born between 1981 to 1996, and, and that's, you know, I've seen different uh, years in the 90s where they cut it off. But the point is this, is every generation, by the time you become a teenager and adult, you're now in the thick of your generation. And so, you know, when the, the millennium, the new millennium hit back in the year 2000, and, and those of us who are old enough remember Y2K and the, the whole craziness that that was around that in late 1999 i was 16 in the year 2000 so it's sort of perfect like uh, the turn of the millennium was was when i was uh, the middle of my teens and so that i I am sort of like right in the uh the the sweet spot if for for millennials and unlike uh how baby boomers raise gen x you know, and we talked about the different, there's there's an older wave of, of baby boomers and a younger wave of baby boomers. The older wave raised Gen X, right? But then younger baby boomers raised millennials. Right. And that's, you know, so, and, and to a degree, again, because my situation is a little different because I, I'm the youngest of five by, by 12 years. And so I have older siblings who are Gen X and my parents sort of treated me like Gen X. However, people who are my age and younger uh, were parented in such a way where they were given all of these kinds of opportunities. And it started with Gen X, but this was the generation that really had their parents give them everything that they needed or wanted. I want to be a part of this after school program. Okay, we'll drive you there. We'll be, make you a part of that. I want to follow this uh, interest. Okay, we'll, we'll encourage you to do that. That's really what defines millennials is that we basically got everything we wanted. Mm. And what that means is we think we're really special. (laughs) As Hayden Shaw says in his book, millennials think differently because they were raised differently. So we think we're special because we were raised to believe that we were special. Mm. And that, you know, there's, there's a truth to that, but at the same time, a little bit, you can have too much of that as well. And so you guys are, second half of your 20s and all in your 30s right uh maybe like 
a couple of you in your early 40s. So, but right. ma- mostly you're in your, your 30s or late 20s. What I also saw about your generation was that was just so pivotal was that 2008 financial crisis. Mm. Uh, right. Because I saw so many young people that I had already been ministering to for, you know, in, in my position as a pastor, where they went to college and they did right. things right. You know, they, right. they actually they didn't get into like hippie land. They didn't get into drugs. They actually got through. They got decent grades and right. the job wasn't there. Right. And 2008 just like wiped out so many millennials and then they had to get some lower paying job that they were overqualified for. And right. to a sunder, to, for many of them, that they've never recovered from that. Because like yeah. where you start really does matter as far as like how things progress in your career. Yeah. And, and not to mention tens of thousands, if not more, spent on that education and then not having a job to pay that back. So right. you're right. burdened College with all debt this- is huge for millennials. Right. You're burdened with all this debt. You don't have a great job. You know, that's what sort of led to the rise of Obama and and uh, his call for change and that sort of thing. And a lot of people liked that message and wanted to be a part of it. Um, I happen to think that democratic policies are not going to help the economy. So that's kind of, you know, why that didn't actually pan out. But that's why he was popular, I think, part of it, at least. Well, he he can't, his inaugural speech was yes we can, right? And right. I think a, a lot of people, maybe not just millennials, but we're, we're very inspired to hear right. a president talk in such a positive way. Right. And uh, you know we were mired in this war for terror for so right. long, war against terrorism, and right. the slogan making the world safe for democracy. Meanwhile, like creating yeah. a lot of problems that generated a lot of terrorists. You had the Guantanamo Bay yeah. uh, interrogations, the torture. Obama comes in and, he, and he's just like, you know, we're going to do better. Yeah. You know, he actually called out terrorists in his inauguration speech. And he's like, you know, you guys need to knock it off. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, there was yeah. just sort of like a, a I don't know, a optimism that came right. with Obama that uh, and millennials really were incredibly engaged yeah. in uh, politics at a young age. Right. Much younger right. than uh, I think a lot of other, more like the boomers, you know, where they yeah. were at a young age engaged. Whereas like Gen X, like we all we all know it's a sham anyhow. So what do we well, care? The thing, the thing is millennials had their JFK moment as we as we mentioned in the last episode. Uh, 9-11 happened when, when I was a teenager, right? Yeah. So I, I was in, I remember that day, like I remember where I was. I was in high, I was at high school and got to lunch and people were telling me about what had happened in the morning. And I'm like, as a sheltered kid growing up in Southern Ontario, I didn't even really know what the World Trade Centers were. I'd seen them before, but I, I don't know what they are. And so that event opened my eyes to the greater world, you know, and that was really what started my political journey, uh, if you will. So to your point of 9-11 happens, we're attacked at home in a grand spectacle way, horrible way, those buildings falling down. And 9-11 changed so many people's lives, both the people who were literally affected, but then uh, those of us who were just seeing it and realizing what kind of world we're part of. And then 
instead of being, let's say, inspired in the, in a good way, the U.S. goes to war. The, the Department of Homeland Security is created. And now when you go to the airport, uh, you're, you have to be checked you know, oh, in, in yeah. various ways, uh, invasive ways, right? Yeah, that was, so things, that was such a big change. Yeah, and so this is sort of the, one of the main points I said about millennials in the series is that millennials are unique because we remember what life was like before the internet and before the war on terror and, and you know, when we were young kids. However, we then got to experience and in fact have been influenced by how things have changed, both in terms of the political scene, but also just how technology has changed all of our lives. We adapted to it very easily because we we grew up with it in a way. So that that's very important to understand about millennials is is how you know we are we are special <laughs> in that way. If I can speak for my own generation, yeah, we are ahead. special because we we I think have a respect for previous generations that maybe maybe Gen Xers didn't have or baby boomers didn't have. We respect older generations although I guess there, everybody is uh, able to say, okay, boomer, uh, no matter what age you are. And, and that certainly does happen. But the, the way technology changed our lives and the way the political landscape changed our lives as well. And then to your point, the, the, the recession. Yeah, I would say you guys are really, you really witnessed the transition to the internet. Yeah. You know, I don't think you were like players in the early days. I remember life before the internet. We, ha- we when the modem first came out, and there was what was right. exi- what existed before the internet were, were called bulletin boards. Right. And I remember being a kid and hooking up to a bulletin board and a BBS as we called them, and mm-hmm. you could see files on there and you could download them. And but it was just like a local little system. It wasn't connected to all the other computers in the world. Right. And it was, you know, however many computers connected to it was how many it had. And then when the Internet came about, I remember that. I remember, like, just, like, learning HTML, learning what a website is. Millennials, when they, by the time they came along, it was like the older ones know what I'm talking about. But a lot of the younger ones were like, yeah, the Internet is just a thing. It exists. I know right. what it is. I know what it does. But they didn't, like, see its early days. You know, they just yeah. take it for granted. And so I think there's some transition that happens in your, your generation as far as that goes. We, we got the, uh, to, to, for me at least, we were never a family that, you know, bought computers uh, in the early 90s and that sort of thing. So we didn't really get a computer until the late 90s. And the Internet was a, an established thing by then. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was just yeah that there there it all is yeah. and and like to my point like i think we i personally and many of us easily adapted to the internet to the point where it became just a part of our lives we got to see the transition at, at least because the internet the internet age continued to grow obviously going from uh messenger apps right like we would uh icq or oh, yeah. uh, a chat um, I forget IRC chat or whatever it was, and then MSN Messenger, and you know, like that's how my wife and I got to know each other. You know, she was living in a different city and going to school, and we would chat on MSN Messenger. And and kids today are like, what's what even is that? Yeah, right. Because this was before texting, what? before texting, before texting, and social media as we knew it, right? As yeah. we know it now. So you so. you were the first generation to have online dating. Yeah, exactly. 
and yeah. and like email be part of like the relationship equation. That's how it started. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because like, you know, you see each other at church, but you connect through email and messaging each other, yeah. you know? So that's how that's how we got together. Cool. Now, what yeah. about Christianity? How does uh, Christianity appeal to millennials? Well, millennials, again, because we're unique in so far as we have a connection to the older generations, I can identify with church as it's always been done. And, and, and you know, to what you were saying, like the sort of a rational approach and try to, here's the best argument now, you know, accept it. I can, that appealed to me. And that's why I became you know, all these different things like the biblical Unitarian and so on, because arguments from people like you uh, were presented and I, I was like, that makes sense that I'll change my mind. But something happened with my generation and certainly with the, the Gen Z is that that doesn't appeal to them. And so we're seeing the beginnings of what is called the, the post-Christian era mm-hmm. of the assumptions that many of us have and had as when we were younger in terms of Christian assumptions just aren't the case for a lot of young people. And so if we're if you're going to appeal to younger millennials, then you need to start again, as I was saying, explaining to them why we would even bother with any of this stuff and how we can contribute to the community and how we can enable them to use their gifts and their talents for good. I think that's more so what is happening in the church as it relates to younger millennials and going into Gen Z is that church is becoming a combination of appealing to Gen Xers and older in the traditional ways that we we've done that over the past few decades, but also a real shift in thinking in terms of appealing to young people, just trying to prove to them about about God isn't going to be enough. They have to understand why that matters and why being a Christian matters. So started with the millennials. Mm-hmm. What would you say would be a, a strategy to appeal to them as far as like uh, an ethos or a culture to develop within the, the church? To be totally fair, you know, I think Gen Z in particular, which we'll get into in a second, I guess, are young enough and not quite old enough to uh, to really have something we can zero in on. Mm-hmm. But certainly younger millennials is sort of what I was saying of, of allow them to express themselves okay. and to contribute, to feel like that they're part of the process, uh-huh. that they know why we're doing what we're doing and that we're not just doing it because that's what we've always done. So, so would that be empowering them? Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, like giving them taking, a seat at the table? It, that's exactly it. Taking a, let's say a 30, well, it's, it's, it's very much how I was affirmed as a 30 year old man uh, back in 2014, I was affirmed by this church to say, hey, you're 30 years old, you love God, you love the scripture, you you have a talent for this, uh, you don't have any experience as a pastor, but we're gonna give you this opportunity to grow into that role. And that appealed for various reasons why I accepted this role as pastor of this church, but it really met that need of affirmation Right, and that's what young millennials are looking for—to be affirmed for who they are, what their value is as as people. Yeah. One of the unique things about millennials, although I mean, there certainly have been people in previous generations, but millennials feel don't feel the need to have to go to church. You could even find uh, older millennials or, or Gen Xers who 
don't go to church, but if you say, hey, you should probably go to church, and they would probably say, yeah, yeah, I know I don't go, but you know, I probably should. Whereas younger millennials and, and, and people younger than that, if they, don't, if they weren't raised in it and they don't see the value of it, then what is the point? Yeah. You know, they're, they're not going to stand for anything phony. So if they, if they went to a church and they weren't spoken to in a way that highlighted uh, why it's important that we believe what we believe and do what we do, they would just not go to that church <laughs> any longer, right? They don't feel the need like they have to do this. Yeah, there's no loyalty there. It's more like, is this meeting my needs? Is there a good yeah. reason for it? Practicality is important. Right. And yeah, basically being recognized as having value, what you said before, I think that that is definitely a huge thing. You know, Jesus called all these young guys to follow him. Yeah, yeah. And he exactly. said, look, you know, I'm a rabbi. I want you to be my disciple. And they're just like, Me? Yeah, you know, and they're like, he's like, yeah, you know, and he believed in them, and then he and then he sent them out. Right. He gave people responsibility. That's so. There's there's an example there. Uh, What about Generation Z? Yeah. So Generation Z, and the reason why they're called that is because uh, you know we had Gen Generation X because there wasn't a great you know sort of unifying term for them, so they're just Generation X, whatever. And the people were thinking, maybe, well, maybe we'll call the next generation Generation Y, and that'll stand for Y2K for the year 2000. Well, millennials is the term that stuck more than Generation Y, but when it came to uh, name this last generation, they just, well, X, Y, Z. Okay, Generation Z for all Canadian sticklers, Generation Z, but I'll, I, I prefer Z. Yeah. <laughs> Still speaking but, the Queen's English over there, huh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so they, they are those who are who are born between nineteen ninety seven and and you know approximately twenty fourteen, something like that. Yeah. They became adults in the late late last decade of the twenty tens. Are becoming adults now, and uh, and and will do so throughout the rest of uh, the decade. So they're young teenagers all the way to you know young adults, uh, something like that at the moment. And in their very short lives, they've gone through a lot. You know, they they perhaps can remember the 2000s with the war on terror and eh, probably you know, not. The, They're probably just kids. Yeah. Oh, 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 for sure. And I don't mean I don't mean it, it had a um, like a cog like a conscious effect on them. But you know, when you're watching TV in the background or hearing news or whatever, it can it can inform who you are in a sense. Okay. So I see what you're saying. That, yeah. And, but but more so in the 2010s. When you you mentioned, you know, we even my generation didn't um, do nuclear bomb uh, drills, uh, but there was the fear of uh, of uh, mass shootings. You know, I was in high school when the Columbine shootings happened, and nowadays with Gen Z, the you know, especially a few years ago, it seemed like every couple of weeks there was a new mass shooting that was happening. So that they're really that's a big part of who they are is that fear. But they're also a culture. Uh, they're the, the, who they are are people of acceptance. So, and the the main people that are in need of acceptance, uh, you know, from from their point of view, is LGBT people, and um, or people who are minorities, like the, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, or people who have been wronged, like the Me Too movement. They're they're looking for justice. Mm-hmm. I think that's great, 
but I just wonder. I, I have a, a lot to say, not a lot to say, but I have something I really want to say about Gen Z, but I also don't want to break the flow of our conversation. So what do you think well, we should let, talk yeah, about? Yeah, let, uh, let me just come back on that a little bit. I would say that these are really more millennial shifts yeah. because Gen Z, they're young enough that they're not really having much influence on the culture. But these events, and not just millennial, but also Gen X, we're, we're actually the ones driving this. We're the ones that are exposing... <laughs> the sexual harassment in the workplace, you know, like what generation is Matt Lauer? What generation is Epstein? Right. You know, like right. it's not, it's not Gen Z or even millennial probably. Right. Um, right. So, um, you know, the whole society, but it doesn't matter. Your point is sustained. The whole society has decided that mm-hmm. not just acceptance, but approval of right. all, any minority viewpoint or lifestyle or proclivity is right. itself a virtue. And, exactly. Uh, and exactly. previous generations did not talk or think that way. You know, there was nope. a lot more freedom. So the new desire is very dogmatic, very intolerant. And right. I'm not saying about Gen Z. I'm saying in our world today, the world that Gen Z is growing up in. Uh, yeah. Whereas like boomers are like, hey, let's burn it all to the ground and build something better. And Gen X is just like, ah, we don't think it's better. Let's burn that to the ground, too. Yeah. Um, where, where, then, you know, where we're at now is like, no, there is something better. It, it's total acceptance. And if you if you dare to even say that there's not systemic racism today, you're evil. Right. Like right. Gen Xer wouldn't call somebody else evil. We would say right. we disagree with you. But right. like the moral, I don't know, arrogance that we see in our world today among, you know, these older generations, that's what these Gen Zers are growing up with. And right. they're, they're just like very much respecting authority, but only certain authorities that conform yeah. with their very rigid, very moral sense of what, what is right and wrong. If I may make an overall comment about this and, and get your thoughts on this. Yeah, sure. And and for everyone listening, like I, I tend to think that the more, and I've thought about this a lot, the more, you know, Gen Z in particular is growing up in this world that, we're, that, that Sean's describing, you know, the more they grow up in that and the more, the less influenced they are by Christianity, you know, and even, even forget about, you know, institutional Christianity, gen, you know, genuine Christianity. The less that they are influenced by by Christianity, the more they're going to take on these things in a religious sort of way. Yes, um, because they don't have Christianity to fill that void within them, or that you know that everything that that sense of structure and balance that religion gives us, Christianity in particular gives us. They're they're not going to have it, so they have to find it somewhere, and they're finding it in identity politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Whether individually you've done anything right or wrong, it matters what group you're a part of, right. you know. Right. And, um, and for two of us as white guys right. that are straight and Christian, like we're checking all the wrong boxes before we That's even right. get to say a word or do a thing. And yeah. we are guilty just because of our whiteness or we're guilty right. just because of our straightness or we're guilty just because we agree with the biggest religion in the world, you know, like any majority position on anything is immediately suspect. And that is new. That has not been that way historically. 
And yet I think Jesus can still appeal to people who are growing up in yeah. this world. And, you yeah. know, part of it is like, well, Jesus was a victim of right, injustice. Right. Okay, so that's that's attractive. Jesus stood up for the sexually immoral people in his world and called them back to community. You know, he also called them to repentance. Right. Uh, but he, you know, he would he would bring the outcast back in, and uh, there, so there's a lot of what Jesus did and, and what the gospel brings, as far as like Jesus dying for our sins. You know, Jesus was a pretty rigid moralist as well. You know, they can right. relate to that. Jesus is an expert. He's a guru. You know, and if you're looking for an authority to trust to help you to figure out what's right and wrong. Well, Jesus is a great option for that. I think he is the way, the truth, the life. We won't read that verse to the Gen Z people up front. You know, uh, they need to taste and see that the Lord is good before they're willing to, in any sense, jump on board. Yeah, I think there's still a lot within Christianity. And the other thing, too, is like you you mentioned how like, all right, boomers like tore down like the 500-year-old like organ hymnal approach. And then uh, Gen Xers, you know, we brought in like the four-piece bands, you know, with the the, right. the guitar, the bass, the drums. Is that a three-piece band? I don't know. Am keyboard, I missing something? Like, yeah, keyboard. Yeah, so we have yeah. the keyboard here too. So now, like Gen Z, it's all about the experience. Right. If they go to a church, it's to experience God. It's not to learn doctrine or to <laughs> right. learn how to live a certain way. And so, yeah. like that whole postmodern mindset that says my personal experience is more important than right. principles based on rational you know thinking or science or none of that matters what matters is my personal experience so like yeah uh, if a gen z person has an experience with god where like god touches them and they experience forgiveness or they experience purpose or they right. realize a kind of confidence in a way of life where Jesus is, is giving them the morals that they're so desperately seeking, that I think could be very effective as a strategy to reach these people today. What do you think? Yeah, you know, if they're embracing, for lack of a better term, left-wing ideology, if they're, if they're embracing that identity politics ideology and they're doing so in a religious way, well, you just described four or five, six, seven things that Jesus can fulfill in them that same desire that they have, but fulfill it in a much deeper way, in a much more real way. So I think you certainly can appeal to them on their own level. But I think the other thing that that I've realized is being people who are believing in objective moral truth, things uh, you know that 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 <laughs> rationality matters, and there that there actually is such a thing as truth, and so on. Um, that's now counterculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. to, so, so like I, I don't know. There, there's almost a, a certain degree of if we're living in a post-Christian world, well, then suddenly we're now back to how Christianity was originally, which was it was not the the accepted norm. You know, it was the counterculture fighting against the machine, so to speak. So I don't know. I think we should own that. Like I think we should, you know, say, hey, we have the 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 real thing here. And what what you're looking for, and what you're trying to fill, what's what you're missing inside is n- is actually going to end in nothing good for society. That's for sure, a- or for themselves as individuals. Yeah. And so we need to to show them that we have something 
something real and it both appeals to them and also challenges them at the same time. Yeah. I've been impressed by how profoundly moralistic they are. Did you ever see that uh, book, The Coddling of the American Mind? No. It talks about uh, how when Gen Z first went to college, Mm. uh, the college campuses had all these problems and like their anxiety, their depression, their penchant for therapy. Uh, were right. like all those uh, were way higher than they had been for previous students, and that right. these Gen Z kids came along and they were just livid if mm. the college, if the administration tolerated a position that they disagreed with or that they right. perceived as hurtful emotionally to yes. a minority, and so they'd have all these uh, just really violent and vile reactions to positions they disagreed with. And right. I, I would say that they are fundamentalists. They are not liberal. Exactly. You know, you say they're they're left. You know, the old definition of left is liberal. Liberal is just another <laughs> word for freedom. That's right. not, I don't think, characteristic of this generation. They are dogmatic. Yeah. You have to accept and approve of everyone's narrative, but only if they are in some way a victim or a minority, or on the bottom side of power. As soon as you get into the to, into a powerful position, you know now you're you know in a different category. So I was yeah. thinking about what drives that. What 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 is what is the felt need that is pushing this? And I and I think it really comes down to compassion. You know there is just hmm. a, an incredible emphasis on in Gen Z of compassion towards somebody right. that's struggling with their gender. And right. you know they're in a biological male body, and mm. they and they uh, cognitively believe they're female, and right. that's causing them mental acute mental anguish and distress. And and the Gen Z person says looks at that and says, "Oh my goodness, you poor thing. Let me let me come alongside no. you." Whereas like some of us older generations are like, "Look, man, you're obviously struggling with a mental problem here." Let's find a solution for you in therapy or psychotropic drugs or something like that. Whereas like Gen Z is like, no, 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 no. The problem is society. Society needs to accept this person and then their pain will go away. Even if I disagree with that, I can still appreciate where it's coming from, which is this desire to show love and kindness and compassion to people. And I think Christianity, like we have a corner on the market on love. Like we are the love religion. Like our founder said the most important thing was to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to love your enemies. I mean, that's going a level deeper than Gen Z has ever even, you know, really considered. Right. You know, because they're not, they're just, they're just loving those who are like them. But like, Jesus can right. bring him even deeper than that. I, I, I'm totally stereotyping. I'm no. sorry to all Jesus oh, yeah. li- listening to this. Uh, but, you know, I just think there's so much in our faith that serves as hooks to yeah. non-Christians yeah. in this generation. I think you're totally right that they have this, this abundance of compassion. And that's one of the most f- more frustrating things about them. I'm somebody who really wants to help people, or, or just let's say Christianity in general. We want to help people. We we want to see people be uh, have mental health and have and see justice in the world and so yeah. on. Um, and yet, the people who are very locked into that their their worldview and the, their understanding of who needs compassion and who doesn't, 
Why aren't we given compassion and understanding to say, we're not trying to be bigoted, we're not trying to be hateful, we're just simply trying to give you a different perspective on what we think the solution to some of the problems that we're facing in the, in the world today. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what Gen Z needs to see. Gen yeah. Z needs to see the church say, uh, you know, to the trans person, look, um, we can't agree with your definition of gender, but we care about you and we yeah. want to we want to help you and we want to walk this path alongside you right and uh you know they're only hearing gen z is only hearing the first sentence we can't right. agree with right. your definition of gender they're only hearing that and so i think as a church we need to you know be, be careful to also say the second half of that but we love you jesus right. died for you god wants a relationship with you you're welcome to come to our church. You're welcome to come and address to our church, yeah. even though you're a guy, and sit in the back and just listen and and see see what sinks in. You know, a lot of churches, yeah. if they had a bearded person in a dress, yeah. you know that that would be a deal breaker. They'd be like, "Oh, look yeah. at this," you know. But like, who who did Jesus spend time with, Dan? Yeah. Who did he spend time yeah. with? The weirdos, the uh, outcasts, the ones that were not living the stereotypical Jewish, you know, how many Pharisees, yeah. these were like the, the superstars who were, you know, the real successful ones in their in their culture. How many Pharisees followed Jesus? Only a few. Right. Yeah. How many prostitutes yeah. followed Jesus? How many tax collectors followed Jesus? How many women followed yeah. Jesus? You know, lots. So I, I think there's, yeah. a, there's a real opportunity here. Yeah. Yeah. I think the church or the churches that will survive and, 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 uh, reach out to young people and embrace young people are going to be the churches that both hold on to truth yeah. but also are not afraid of external things that ultimately we can we can tolerate that see i, I see this is the weird thing i th i think the the tolerance does not mean uh giving up on truth right tolerance should mean you allow people to agree to disagree and get to truth in their own time, yeah. in their own way. Yeah. And you try, you're there to help them. You're there to encourage them. Uh, that's what we're trying to do at our church. And I, I, we're not seeing the results yet. But then again, it could be that Gen Z is still, as to the point we made earlier, it's they're still growing up. And so they may not have... old. The older you get, the more you see the need for church. I think eventually... Gen Z people are going to want to go to church and be a part of church, and we need to be ready for that. Yeah, um, and and be accepting of where they're at in their life. Yeah, I I, I would agree too. Uh, just kind of wrapping things up here because uh, <laughs> we are running late on time, but uh, I do agree that Gen Z sees the least reason to physically be present. Right. That's right. Um, and. This this is kind of problematic for a lot of us who are not like superstar celebrities on TV and you know with millions of followers on our app or whatever. They have access to those superstar yeah. preachers, right? And yeah. you know then they're going to come to like you know the local church website and they're going to be like, wow, this website doesn't even work that well on my phone, and right. you know it, you know the spacing is off and the fonts aren't trendy. You know, to my liking, dark mode doesn't even work. I'm like getting blinded by this thing. You know, and uh, you know, then they're gonna go to like uh, you know one of these big shot 
apps on their phone and they're like, oh, it's so smooth and this preacher is so slick and he dresses so cool and his hair is quaffed in just the right way. And, uh, you know, he's he's like the YouTubers I watch. He's got influence, you know, and that's their world, you know. So um, I think I I think we are going to see that trend continuing in that direction for better or for worse. But, you know, I think the experience side of it once again, is something that the local church can afford Gen Z uh, that you can't get it on an app. And you can't That's even right. get it in the metaverse with, uh, you know, goggles strapped to your head because right. just, you know, maybe you will, you know, in 10 years. But like just the way the technology is right now, it's just not there yeah. to, you know, th- there's that feeling you get when everyone in the room is singing and there's like, yeah. you know, you, you feel like you're breaking through and you're, you're touching God or he's reaching down and touching you. And, uh, you know, it's different when I hear person three rows over from me chuckle during the sermon than if I'm right. sitting by myself. And I think yeah. it's like somewhat funny, but I, you know, yeah. the, the experience of being there yeah. is still unbeatable. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of church growth experts or whatever you want to call them are saying that the path forward, especially post pandemic, is hybrid model of in-person and online because if you're going to reach people it's probably going to be online but you what is the thing that we could to your point what is the thing that we can offer you know that that you can't get online a real sense of community a real sense of making a difference and and that's why and, and it's in some ways discouraging to somebody like me and you who love bible study and truth and uh you know trying to unpack the truth uh, that might not appeal to them, but we can't give up on that either because, first of all, there are older people, <laughs> but also we engage in the things that will resonate with young people. Yeah, well, and then ho- hopefully take them you know? to the soup kitchen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, take them to uh, sort clothes that are going to be don- that are that have been donated to uh, battered women and suffering yep. domestic violence. Uh, take them to an animal justice type shelter right. where people are trying to to help animals get adopted or, you know, pets and so on. You know, th- these are all aspects of our faith that, that you know, uh, like from a muscle point of view, have atrophied in the body of Christ. Yeah. And yeah. Gen Z's here to say, hey, uh, I'm reading this Matthew 25 of my Bible about the sheep and the goats. And, yeah. you know, the things that Jesus is saying are so important. I don't really see you old timers doing. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's a critique. Yeah. Uh, and we need to be yeah. able to hear that. And uh, just like we need to listen to other generations too. And we need to be able to empower them to be like, all right, so you're passionate about refugees. Like we have a refugee center in downtown Albany here. All right. So let's do something. Let's go. Right. You know, and, and let's yeah. help uh, refugees learn how to navigate the healthcare system in America, which is so, so complicated, let me tell you. Let's get, help them uh, when they first get to the country, learn how to navigate a grocery store and these yeah. basic skills that re- refugees are going to need, you know, or like if we start getting Ukrainian refugees, you know, that, that might be something that Gen Z would be very passionate about. It's just different. I don't want to say uh, uh, Gen X is better than millennials who are better than Gen Z, who are better than Gen Alpha, which we didn't really talk about. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you why. In a, well, my, let, let, leave my babies alone. <laughs> let them stay babies. <laughs> I've got three kids in that uh, Gen Z. Yeah, and then my fourth kid 
is right. alpha. So, right. yeah, I mean, you don't even know what's yeah. going on there. Exactly. You know, but it'll be exciting. You know, and yeah. I think the gospel speaks to every generation. And I think 100%. God's dream of a healed, renewed world in the kingdom age, the kingdom of God, it, you know, that's a message that's just always going to resonate. Resurrection's always yeah. going to be popular because we have this problem called death, you know? That's right. And we may that's look right. at it differently, but it's still a problem. Uh, especially when somebody you love dies or when you come to die yourself. You know, resurrection yeah. is, you know, it is always going to be big. So I, I, and Christianity is not shrinking. It's not dying. It's not going anywhere. You know, the demographers yeah. say we're going to keep pace with the population over the next 20, 30 years. And, you know, by 2050, we're going to be just as, as from a percentage point of view, just as big as we are now. Mm. Just not in the same places. Right. That's right. You know what I mean? Like it is shrinking yeah. in America. That is true. But it's growing like crazy in Africa and Asia, right. you know. Right. So yeah. I, I don't want to be an alarmist and say, oh, my goodness, you know, Gen Z just likes to use apps. Well, so what? Maybe that's maybe that's better. Yeah. Maybe we need to listen yeah. to that. Yeah. Maybe we need gospel- to invest in that, you know, instead of investing so much in other things that maybe aren't even doing any good. Exactly. The, the gospel message will always speak to people because it, it speaks to some of the deepest fears and deepest need and desires that we have. And that's why God uses it and powerfully uses it. And I think the reason why it's, you know, Christianity might be growing in certain other countries, maybe poorer countries, is because they don't have as many things in the way. They can embrace that message because, you know, we, we live in a society where we're so distracted and we are so our time is filled with so many different things yeah. and we don't stop and think about our mortality. <laughs> we don't stop and think about, is there more to life than this and why do we exist and, and so on. And so maybe it's just a matter of reaching out to young people in such a way where, where they can identify with what we're saying. And, but then we give them instead of, Whatever it else they would fill their their time and hearts with, we give them Jesus and the gospel instead. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks so much for this uh, stimulating conversation. Uh, It really is an important subject that uh, we're talking about today. And uh, as Great Commission people, Jesus uh, had given us the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. Well, hey, that includes Canada. That includes... United States of America, that includes Australia, that includes the UK and these other, you know, I'm focusing on English speaking places where we are struggling with these critiques against Christian values. The question is not like, well, uh, they're wrong, so they're just not going to become Christian. I don't think that's a healthy attitude. I think the attitude is like, all right, well, what, what does appeal? What can we say? And we don't want to compromise truth. We don't want to compromise Jesus and just be like, yeah, he's just one option among many. We don't really believe right. that. So <laughs> that's not really an option for us. Yeah. But like, how, how do we present Jesus to people today in a way that's compelling? And I, I think, you know, considering the different generations and their different life experiences and how they approach truth and the big questions and the, and the good life, what is a good life? You know, it really does explain how we can be faithful to our Lord and uh, make disciples of all nations. So I just want to thank you for bringing this uh, topic to my radar and uh, for spending this time with me. 
My pleasure, Sean, anytime. And uh, I think, again, people uh, can, we can all benefit from learning from our past, but also looking ahead uh, to the generations that are growing up now and understanding what they're in need of. Well, that brings this episode to a close. What did you think? Come on over to restitutio.org and go to episode 443, part two of our Generational Differences series. This is the final part. And leave your feedback there. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to know more about Pastor Daniel of Font Hill, Ontario, you can go to his website, gladtidingschurchofgod.com. Uh, for his church, or his other website, his ministry website, MessianicNiagara.com, where he's done some interesting Hebrew roots research and and has a number of other resources there that you may be interested in. On another note, I wanted to respond to some activity on the Facebook group, which is just called Restitutio Group, not the most original name for a group, but uh, I encourage you to join if you're on Facebook. And there was a guy on there named Steve who was uh, posting pretty much daily, arguing for the pre-existence of Christ in light of certain Greek words, like the word translated manifested, uh, the argument being that if someone or something is manifested, it must have existed beforehand. And if this was an isolated post, you know, perhaps he would have had more engagement. But these, like I mentioned, have been nearly daily uh, posts of uh, arguing for pre-existence based on these uh, various Greek words. And uh, I think a lot of us are familiar with the case for pre-existence more biblically, more based on a number of key scriptures that pre-existence advocates point to. And yet, quite a few of us find the Unitarian pre-existence position to be rather difficult to believe. And there are biblical and logical reasons for that. Uh, But one of the big ones, and I don't really see anyone talking about this, and so I encourage this, uh, Steve and others who I know are part of the group who do affirm literal preexistence, I really want to challenge you to develop an incarnation theory. Because to be honest, I have never seen one. And that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means that maybe I haven't, haven't come across it yet. But Trinitarians, as we all know, do have an incarnation theory. They believe that God became a human being, and it took them centuries upon centuries and excommunication after excommunication to work this out, because it wasn't really until after Chalcedon that they had a thoroughgoing view of how the divine and human parts of Christ worked. And if you read Chalcedon carefully, you'll see that it's not really worked out even there. But be that as it may, we're not fussing about the Trinitarian view of incarnation. My point is they tried, and they developed, and they put, they put pen to paper, they put something out there, and they said, this is what we believe. And I just haven't seen Arians or subordinationists, whatever you want to call yourselves, doing that. There are a few different ways to go with it. And I'm curious to see what people think is the best explanation. So let me just dip my toe in for a second here and and explore the tree of decisions one needs to make. So you have this angel who now is going to become a little baby, probably what a zygote or whatever the early phase of a baby is, an embryo, a zygote, whatever. I don't think we need to get overly technical. But the point is, 
If you affirm the analogy of the brain as hardware on which to run the software of the mind, then you have to agree that an embryo or a zygote does not have the hardware for a mind to download onto. You see what I'm saying? So in other words, it's just physically impossible for a an angel, a spiritual being to transfer to a human body and keep anything at that stage. So then what we're looking at is waiting until the baby is fully developed in the womb, perhaps. So we have kind of a later moment of incarnation. And the question is, can the baby's brain support that kind of information at that point? And if not, then we have a post-birth download. There are ways to deal with this, but I'd like to hear somebody talking about it, I guess. And also, there's the issue of the inherent mind, the native mind that would arise from the brain of that baby throughout the normal course of human maturation, where you have consciousness eventually coming about after however long, I don't know what it is, a year or two years or something like that. And then you have actual learning of language and so on and so forth that occurs with very young children. And at what point does the human Jesus, who used to be an angel, however that works out, get access to the memories of that celestial existence. So one option is the Jason Bourne hypothesis. Those of you who have seen the Jason Bourne movies, he has amnesia. So that hypothesis is that Jesus grows up. He's just like a normal kid. He gets to around 30 years old and he goes for baptism And at the moment of baptism, when the Spirit descends upon him, it unlocks those memories. And suddenly he's just like, oh, I know who I am. I know who I really am. Is that a position that you who affirm preexistence are willing to, to stand behind? Or do you have some other way of working it out? Now, I realize that methodologically, a lot of you will probably say to me, Sean, I don't need to work out the philosophy of incarnation from an angel to a human. I just need to affirm scripture. And look, I totally, I'm with you on that methodologically, but I think it would help your cause in convincing others that are not convinced by your exegesis or this or that Greek word that there is actually a viable theory here to work with. And so, hey, this is a challenge. I challenge you who believe in pre-existence to develop an incarnation theory and write an essay, write a book, write a blog, make YouTube videos, whatever it is you do, explaining a theory that actually works. And I think that would be very helpful to those of us who are sort of hesitant to consider it more deeply. One other option I just want to mention before closing out is the idea that the soul of Jesus. Of course, you have to be a dualist in order to go in this direction, but the soul of Jesus is the angel, uh, transformed, right? So the angel becomes a soul, and that soul unites to the body and somehow, what, suppresses the human soul from developing I'm not really sure how that would work, but uh, that's another option to consider for this. Uh, But if we're looking at a human being who has a 
divine or quasi-divine soul, how is that still a human being? How is that, how is that not a hybrid being? So th- those are some thoughts to think about. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to me ramble here about pre-existence and the issues with that from a philosophical point of view. I uh, would love to hear more of your thoughts. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. If you'd like to support Restitutio, you can do that at our website, restitutio.org. We'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.